some band that was uh, manifested out of the corporate machine just to sell tickets. You know, they were a real band. They weren't just a... But, like, they were a cash cow. And they were, like, really, really good for that pop-punk emo scene that was thriving around that time. Totally. I don't, I don't and, feel like they were, like, the same as, like, a Simple Plan or something, someone like that, though. Like, Simple Plan feels a lot more corporate to me than Fall Out Boy does. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree with that. Like, like I, I think, but, but however, I probably would have agreed with you at the time because it wasn't until Patrick Stump's solo career, I think, is when, is when I feel like it legitimized the whole pop direction for me. Like, at the time, them going into that pop direction felt like, yeah, a sellout cash grab move. But once, like, I sort of saw Patrick Stump do it in another project, it's sort of like, oh, well, that's just what they want to do. Like, that's not a, you know what I mean? That's them, that's them progressing. Did you like Patrick Stump's fallout, uh, sorry, his solo career stuff? Uh, I, look, I can't say that I've enjoyed anything that Fallout Boys put out since Infinity on High. And that's not a criticism on them. And that, um, what I'm about to say is I feel like my enjoyment, like, my enjoyment doesn't determine, like, how good... Like the music is no, no, and so I've I've well, learned in age that what they did wasn't necessarily bad. I just don't particularly enjoy it, and so therefore never really listened. Um, but I've, but in terms of Patrick Stump, I did listen to a little bit of it, and I did enjoy some of it. I didn't enjoy all of it, but I did appreciate the fact that he is somewhat of a prodigy when it comes to songwriting, um, like into or at least in terms of pop songwriting. Yeah, you can see like you can see the merit in what he does yeah. in the genre and for the genre, it's just not for you. Yeah, exactly. I fully feel that. In the same respect, I know that there's music that I like that fucking objectively sucks, but <laughs> I like it, you know, and I'm like, you know, someone's like, Oh, what are you listening to? And I have to be like, Look, just because I'm listening to it doesn't make it good. You shouldn't listen to this. Yeah, like that's <laughs> I guess that's the whole like premise of like guilty pleasures when you know when you don't feel guilty about it. It's like acknowledging that the music might be bad, but like you still enjoy it anyway. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Like uh, I'm gonna, I'll come clean. Anything that Justin Roiland does musically for Rick and Morty, because like all of those stupid songs that are in Rick and Morty episodes end up on Spotify somewhere, and like I enjoy them every time. And I'm like, I know that he's doing this to make it like bad in a respect, but I'm like, but I still get a kick out of this. Yeah, well, it's, it's like the same guilty pleasure that I have for going on like YouTube and watching like those really horrible high school band covers of like Blink-182 and Green Day and stuff like that. There's something that's just like really fun about watching like a really terrible band. I, yeah, no, I've definitely been down that rabbit hole there, uh, there was a band once upon a time. I won't name any names, but their music video did the rounds amongst anyone that knew me because I was like, look at how fucking bad this is. <laughs> I do recall you passing that around, but I don't actually remember what it is, but we'll talk about it perhaps off air because we are on a podcast and we should introduce it. So, uh, hi, welcome to the Pretty Good Thanks podcast. Dylan, how are you? Pretty good, there thanks. There go. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. You guys are gonna get real fucking sick of that joke. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. It's it took us what four episodes to actually come up with the name for for the show. We we started before <laughs> the show and and now and now we're running with it. So, but yeah, um, welcome to the show. I'm Liam, and I'm with me. I've got Dylan, and every week we talk about I don't know musical things and film things and what have you. Whatever we feel like, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're gonna do that. 
Uh, I'm gonna talk about nothing. Talk about nothing. That was actually like one of the like the alternative names was something like a different. That's right. We a different shade of nothing. A different shade of nothing. Yeah, yeah. that was one of our like uh, other names that we had. Honestly, some some days I wish we had a went with it <laughs> because like. You, you know, the the reason we went with Pretty Good Thanks was like, uh, you know, all right, we need something that kind of summarizes the podcast. I'm like, it's pretty good. Not great. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because I, I had uh, I had come up with it. And the other alternative name we had was... Uh, it was a Burke Baccarat song that was like, oh, that's right, What the World Needs Now. And I thought it would be so funny and so self-congratulatory to call it What the World Needs Now <laughs> with Liam and Dylan. That was very, when you mentioned that, it was so sobering for me. I was like, I just immediately, it was like everything was flashing into my head at once. And I was like, that's, you know, what this implies is that the state of the world, what the state of the world is, the answer is us. And I'm not even going to touch on the last five years. You talk about this year alone. <laughs> and then you say what the world needs now is two white guys from a local band on a podcast talking about nothing. <laughs> I was like, as much as I like that song, we probably can't. We run probably it. can't. That's do an insult. It. Yeah, <laughs> insulting. It's off brand for us. So. But yeah, what have you been up to this week? What do you, what have you been doing this week? I uh, I'm playing with a new toy that I bought. Yeah. The, um. Yeah. Yeah. The little the parts Strat- Stratocaster I bought off um of Facebook Marketplace. Some dude just put together a parts caster and. Sold it to me for a super, super reasonable price, yeah, and I'm you, uh, not a very good guitarist, you, so you let me I hold can it. justify it. You let me hold it the other day, and uh, I I reckon it feels really nice, dude. Like, I think the finish on it, like, on the neck and the body, just, like, it feels very vintage and old to me, but, like, in a really high-quality kind of way, like, a very deliberate way. So I truly don't have the nuance to, like, appreciate sort of where it, how good a guitar feels. Like, I, I know I've held my brother's, like, Gibson Les Paul before, so I know... That feels that felt pretty good. That felt like two thousand uh, dollars or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. That felt like if I drop this, he's actually gonna rip my head from my body <laughs> and drink, drink my blood from my skull. <laughs> but um, yeah. So you know, been- so yeah. I've like held one of those, and I've held like shitty guitars, and so I know what a shitty guitar feels like. And I had this, and I was like, I can't tell you how good this feels. I don't know where on a scale you'd put it, but I know that it doesn't feel like shit. So that's yeah. great. I'm fucking stoked. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I needed. <laughs> It's gonna it's gonna be a lot of fun to uh to see what what you do with that guitar, you know, like in terms of songs and stuff. So right now I've just dived right back into every time I jump into a session and I'm like, you know, just kinda I just jump into a session and play with the plugins that I've got to kinda like like just playing with guitar tones. Because mm. I don't actually have an amp. But every time I find myself going back to all of the uh all of the dinosaur rock that I used to play when I was like <laughs> fifteen years old, yeah. like the um, you know, extreme Van Halen stuff. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> the ACDC like, stuff, all the all the glam yeah. stuff. Yeah. And all 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 of just the nice stuff as well, like Heat of the Moment by Asia. Yeah. That song is fucking awesome. Oh, that's, I love that's that on song. bangs, man. I feel like what Dinosaur Rock is to you is what like all those like eighties bands are like all those eighties pop bands like Tears for Fears and stuff are to me. Like I feel like that's Yeah, just like Yeah. Cause I, I such a staple in growing up. Yeah, exactly. I feel like we've kind of inherit those inherit those kind of bands from our parents and you know relatives and stuff. So, hundred percent. And like, I still love dinosaur rock, but it's a it is very clear to me that that is an area where something might not necessarily be objectively that good anymore. But I still like it. Yeah. And like, I but it's not something that I'll defend either because I kind of look at it 
And I'm like, man, a lot of it is, you know, while it's good, a lot of it is just like virtuosic wank <laughs> for the guitarists oh, yeah, and totally. stuff like that. Yeah. And vocalists like. Ah! Everything, and was, so- every, everything was about extremes. And that's not just talking about the band, but like <laughs> in terms of just like, yeah, dynamics and pitch and being the loudest band and being the most outrageous. Everything was about like being the most extreme, I think. Exactly, but real like really for a lot of the songs you've just got the same the same chord progressions kind of being passed around. Like the they kinda I guess within that genre they kinda limited themselves to what was possible. Yeah. I, I suppose I guess you do that in any genre. I suppose Steel Panther kind of proved that for that genre. The way that they <laughs> Yeah, they definitely like I loved Steel Panther when I was fourteen and it it, it you know, partially because haha, yeah, funny lyrics and I'm fourteen. Yeah. But the other part was like they did perfectly embody all of those elements of the eighties that I loved. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they like each song on their first album, each song was actually while it was, you know, they were packed with references, they were specifically like referencing a di- another song, but like uh well not another song, but another band. Like one of the songs was definitely a Van Halen song. There was one song that was a Guns N' Roses song. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's just interesting to me that you know, like they, they put it together in a way that it wasn't too obvious. It wasn't like ham fisted, just the sweet child of mine riff yeah. part B. But, um, you know, but, you know, if you sat there and thought about it, you were like, no, this is definitely a Van Halen call out. And just that they do that on an album. Like it's you know, not only are we a parody band, but each one of these is like an open letter call out to the bands that we are parodying. I loved the uh, the Bon Jovi the, the Bon Jovi parody. Uh, the, oh, yeah. Is it Eat and Ain't Cheatin'? Is that the one? <laughs> that uh, Eat and Ain't Cheatin' was actually the Van Halen one, funnily enough. Hang on, which there one was, am I thinking of then? Maybe it wasn't. Was the bon- this was like an acoustic song? No, no, no. Oh, re- is it really, was it really Van Halen one? Eat and Ain't Cheatin'. Yeah, because that's the, that, that opening riff is like a direct reference to Panama, I'm pretty sure. Oh, man. Hang on. I have to look at this later on. No, that's fine. I'm loving that I can actually... I've This This is the first time I've actually thought about that album in years because yeah. I haven't listened to them since maybe I turned 17. Okay. And, like, I'd that's me saying, oh, no, that's that riff is a reference to Panama. I've actually... I was... I could feel it in my skull. I dived so deep for that knowledge, for that <laughs> forgotten bit of gold. <laughs> then I've just... And I pulled it out, dusted it off... <laughs> Oh yeah, good as it's new. But yeah, uh, so you've been playing with the guitar. What else you been up to? Playing with the guitar. Uh, I did end up cleaning my room finally. Yeah, I think since I think since we lasted an episode, I was whinging about how I was like, oh, I don't clean my room enough, and I fucking I did it. And as expected, I got ten minutes into it and realized I'd done a quarter of it, and I was like, this place is so small. It takes me fuck all time to clean this. There's so little effort. Why was I sitting here just contemplating the gargantuan molehill that I had to climb? <laughs> it was ended up just being like, you know, a very small lump in the grass. <laughs> the hardest part is always starting. I think that's that's the lesson to be learnt here. Yeah, I do have trouble getting started. And especially I think I go in with some sort of attitude sometimes as well, where when I'm getting started, I'm still taking with me this like, oh, I don't want to do it because there's too much. Yeah. So the first like five minutes, I'm like, <laughs> and I'm just sludging through it and it makes it feel like a fucking million years. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I cleaned and uh, finished up regular show and I've been watching some South Park now, just going over some old South Park yeah, episodes. Yeah, because the, se- the new season starts this Thursday. 
Oh yes. I'm not sure if it's the new season or if they're just doing like an episode, but yeah, I, I think it's the season premiere. Either way, I'm fucking keen. Just anything from those guys. You're going to, yeah. If anyone is listening to this, you're going to have to listen to me suck the dick of Matt and Trey a little bit more. Yeah. If you've listened to the other episodes, because I'm just so in love with those guys. Yeah. I think, I think the, um, the fire of like the, the love that we have for South Park's kind of been reignited like in recent times. I think, I mean, it's always been there, but I think like even more so lately, you and I have been talking a little bit, a lot, well, rather a lot more about South Park lately. 100%. I think, I think I've, I've learned a lot of life lessons from that show. Unironically, I'll say yeah. it. Because <laughs> they do, they do, you know, especially in the earlier seasons, playing that trope of like, hey, I learned something today and have the moral at yeah, the end of the story. Yeah, it's like the Christmas story, or like all, like in every episode, basically. Yeah, exactly. But- in the in the same breath, there's like because of the issues that they touch on, it's they I don't know they're great critical thinkers. That's what it is. I think it's just they're great critical thinkers, and it comes through in their humor. Yeah, I think it also helps how fresh the show has sort of become. I mean, it must be so taxing for everybody that works there, but um, how relevant everything and how immediate everything can be. I was thinking about this earlier today, and. Uh, I th- it's because whenever shit started happening, they changed the town of South Park where they there's that, you know, that traditional formula of, oh, yeah, everything will be back to normal, the same episode. And you're like, mm. uh, you know, well, your early as cartoons like Flintstones, but then like in Simpsons, Futurama, even those shows that are a bit more out there and a bit more mm. adult humor, still everything goes back to normal. But uh, not even not necessarily even with an arcing storyline, but I just noticed through the earlier seasons to the later seasons as the world around them changed because it was a lot, a lot of it was very social based and, you know, just doing a social commentary. They had to change the things that they were talking about. So they had to change what the characters were doing in the town. And then the town had to evolve along with it. Yeah. And I think that's how a show like that stays so fresh because it's like, it's not just freezing this one point in time and then growing stale. Yeah, totally. I, I, I really liked it when the show started to become more serialized. I definitely, I sort of mark that as a point, like an era, like in South Park, you know, like there's different eras in South Park is the sort of the first few seasons, which are like the more, they're rough, but like they're, they're, they're more like weird, like, like in like the same way that like Rick and Morty kind of has this like world, like that's. Yeah. Yeah. It was zany, zany things happening to these kids that swear a lot. Totally. And then there's sort of like the mid seasons, which then became a bit more political, but everything was still like all the, all the puzzle piece, like everything's back to normal as we were sort of talking about. And then these basically from like what season 16, 17, 18 onwards, you know, that's when it became more serialized and there was a more continuous story arc within the season, which I think is really cool. hundred percent. I do. I do like the, um, I do like sort of the arcing storyline. They that plays into the world changing around them as well. Yeah, well, that's, that's it. like the, the, I think it was like the Whole Foods that opened up was like the thing that like really <laughs> yeah. changed about the, the straw town. that broke the camel's back. <laughs> the closest thing they had to an arcing storyline before that was that season where Kenny was trapped. Kenny's soul was trapped in Cartman's body. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that actually. Yeah, yeah, and uh, also like having those reoccurring characters like Tally or Mister. Uh, Mr. Hanky, like, return, uh, or even the chef, um, like, arc as well, like, with him leaving and then coming back. Like, I yeah. actually remember, like, it was when I was, I've been watching um, South Park this week with Ophelia, um, and we've just been going through, like, just, like, old classic episodes that she hasn't seen. And um, so many times, 
there's moments where I have to sort of explain what it had, like, because there's so many, like, linking references to previous episodes. So you, you're, you're kind of like, you show her an episode and then it'll leave, leave a, like, breadcrumb back to yeah, well, another episode. Yeah, I just, be- like, remember as we're watching that I'm just like, oh, you're supposed to know that this is what's happened. That's why that line's funny kind of thing. Like An- another thing, another thing that they did very well, I was watching an interview with them, um, you know, like I do every week. Um, it's all <laughs> I do anymore. I just get my entire YouTube history is just Matt Stone, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, Trey Parker <laughs> interview, Matt Stone, Trey Parker tonight show. And, but there were, you know, I digress. There was an interview and uh, they were saying that, one thing they realized early on was that they didn't have to rely on focusing on the four boys, that they could take the town. They could take any character like, you know, even like even in season one, you could take the Mr. Car- Mr. Garrison character and they, you know, they did shitloads with him. And it was like mm. they realized that they didn't have to base their entire stories around the four boys, which gave them the freedom that, uh, you know, shows like again, like calling back to The Simpsons shows like The Simpsons haven't really taken that much. It's always mm. kind of around the central family, totally. which is like fair that it is the Simpsons. But yeah, now it's just at a point where you could literally pick any character in that town and they do an episode on them. Totally. And like, you can see it would either pan out to be like a very story sort of based episode, or they could even just take a family that no one knows a side character and just make it like the whites. Yeah. The, the whites, whites showing up. Exactly. I, and then like an episode, being central out centralized around the whites is like the the one where Jason gets when dies and gets hit by the car and they're like all celebrating Randy going to jail and it's like that's that's sort of like the episode that focuses a lot on the whites' arc and it's like, you know, their their decision or the way that they proceed with um treating the president is is up to them. You know, it's up to the whites. It's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> up uh, to this one family. Yeah. So Oh man. Anyway, this is, not, this, is not a, this is not a South Park podcast. <laughs> it's becoming one very quickly, it but we'll, uh, we'll steer away it's, from it. How's I, your week been, man? It's, it's been good. I, I've, been, I've been pretty creative. I actually, I, I, was, I wanted to bring onto the show this, this, uh, this story. I, I was talk- one night I was on Facebook. We were talking last week or the week before that uh, about how you get stuck in the, the scroll. Uh, yeah, I ended yeah, up yeah. finding myself in the scroll uh, on on Facebook the other one night, and uh, I, I I just like kept seeing all the the guitar like pages that like I'm a part like the groups Buy that I'm a part sells sort of stuff. Well, that and also there's like there's like a few like Fender ones, like there's like a few like guitar groups on Facebook. Yeah, sometimes they're like good posts. A lot of the times it's just like dudes just like flexing on what guitar they have in their collection or their, their collection. <laughs> I mean like a few like left hand guitar um, groups as well. Like sometimes there's a buy, sell and swap kind of thing. Yeah. And they'll just like post their guitars. And then the only other piece of content and it absolutely just drove me insane. Like when I started thinking about it was like the absolute dog shit memes that are in uh, groups. <laughs> Have you ever seen any of like the dog shit memes that are in like these groups? Oh, dude, yeah. So memes that memes that get posted to a group that is not a shit posting group has like a nine out of ten chance of just being an absolute pile of fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Because it's like you know, God bless these people, but it's usually impact font, top text, bottom text, unironic, maybe reaction image. Sorry, this is me just being a complete twat meme connoisseur, but <laughs> but you're like these people, like haha, this funny picture will make people laugh, and I'm like, hey, oh fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just got like so mad at these like 
memes because I just thought they were just like the the lowest tier like content, and I was like, what is the point of that? What a waste of bandwidth. Anyway, so <laughs> waste of bandwidth. Yeah, absolute waste of bandwidth. But I uh, I was also in my scroll. I was actually. <laughs> That's fucking fun. <laughs> so waste of them. Are you need to like get some sort of policing unit together to like <laughs> co-op with the NBN, go around to people's houses, check their fucking history. <laughs> you downloading this image for a meme, mate? <laughs> oh yeah. Can I see the meme? <laughs> No, nah, that's fucking dog shit, cunt. <laughs> Waste of bandwidth. <laughs> Boom, rip out their NBN. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I think we gotta get that start. I gotta I think we gotta get the movement starting. Get get it started. Yeah. Fuck this. Stop we we gotta use the reside feet page for something. Let's use that. <laughs> Making dog shit memes will stick our foot in your ass. <laughs> Red Foreman. We'll do the Red Foreman format. <laughs> the meme format for Red Foreman. <laughs> Excellent. Now, but also in my scroll, I was um I came across it was um Adam Sandler's birthday recently. Oh, the king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um David Spade uh posted a uh a photo like, you know, with the caption like happy birthday Adam, but the it was like a essentially it was a photo of him Ne- next to Adam Sandler on the red carpet, but half of like Adam Sandler's face is cut off. It's like cropped out. <laughs> so it's just like, it's just a picture of David Spade. And it was just like, I thought it was pretty good. Con- that was not a, that was good meme. I must say yeah. that was not meme a waste of bandwidth, but um, I, it got me thinking. I started scrolling. Mr. Spade, uh, you're all right. <laughs> you can keep your NBN for now, but we're going to be back in a week, mate. <laughs> we're checking on you. you. You best stay off nine gag. <laughs> But I was—it got me thinking about uh, what kind of people like follow and comment on David Spade posts. That's it. Just got me think. At, like, and I, so I started scrolling through the comments, and uh, I'm, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna just pause the podcast here, and I'm gonna send you this, uh, this. I'll cut all this out, but I'm gonna send you this post and just like scroll through the comments. All right, so I've sent that to you now. <laughs> we'll come back. So yeah, some of the comments are just—I'm gonna read some of them. First of all, um, from from Leah, we've got such a comedian. Love you both. Happy birthday, Adam. You are the one I like better. <sighs> Roasted on your own fucking page, yeah. David Spade. <laughs> and then uh, from Rita, we've got so is it Adams or David S birthday? Either way, <laughs> happy birthday to a great actor comedian. Oh shit! That's wait. Can I pick one? Can I pick one? Please. <laughs> you could have at least let Adam be in the picture. Happy, happy, happy birthday, Adam! With five exclamation marks. <laughs> but yeah, I just had such a good time just going through these comments and just reading it. And it made me think, like, what are the types? It made me think about what kinds of fan. Like, imagine reaching this level of fame and stardom and this is the kind of... Like this is the kind of content that's getting sent to you in your in your comments. This is your this is your demographic. Yeah, these are the people that like you responding yeah. to the things that you've done. Yeah, that is pretty. That is pretty fun. I guess like for us, it's lucky because a lot of the you know, like a lot of the people that uh, enjoy reside and interact with our posts are people that we know throughout the scene and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it is interesting. You know what's actually 
can these people keep their bandwidth? Yeah. Are you going to allow them to keep yeah, their bandwidth? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. State your case. Why? <laughs> oh, I feel like, all right, a lot of this feels very genuine or it's a very impressive bot. Like these bot likes and these are like all <laughs> bots. Although I do go, like if I were to go on like these people's profiles, they're actual real people. Like they've got like, I'm not going to stalk these people, but. Oh, that- but we've all, all right. This actually brings up a very interesting topic that mm. I think we should, we should touch on soon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I, we've all been there. You get in the comments section of someone's post, you know, it could be a celebrity. It could be one of your mates or whatever. And you get, and you like, I'm a lurker. I don't interact that much on social media and especially not compared to like some people I see, mm. but you know, We've all been there. You lurk in the comments. You have a look. Someone says something. You're like, who the fuck would say something like that? And then you jump on their profile and you have a look. You try. <laughs> your brain tries to piece together the life of this person that you don't know and that you've never even thought of before until you just saw a few words on a screen. Perhaps like a member of uh, like a guitar group or, uh, you know, <laughs> or, a, or a socialist uh, party or some political group or something like that. <laughs> like... Like the uh, the Commodore profile picture or the Fort, you know, like those oh, kinds of people. I love the Commodore profile picture, man. I love just for me, it negates any argument that someone could make to be online. And like I said, I don't interact online. I don't really get into arguments. But I see when I see these arguments unfold in the comments section. If someone's making a case and it's Mr. Holden Commodore profile picture, usually it's a shit case, and yeah. usually and it'll negate any good point that they make. I'm just like, you know, they could make one out of 10 good points and I'd still be like, shut the fuck up, Commodore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've, we've seen a lot of, uh, of a lot of trolling and stuff like that online. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I really miss the, I was talking to you um, about this earlier. I really miss, we talked about uh, sort of prank videos and how they've evolved and stuff like that, but it kind of stemming to videos that people, when, you know, YouTube was first accessible to, yeah, just like the public, the kind of videos that I at least used to use YouTube really only for and that would I'd see the most were just like shit going wrong, like, you know, someone burning off their yeah. hair with a, with a hair curler or, you know, someone getting hit in the nuts with a golf ball or something like, actually I remember one specific video where a guy got hit in the head by a golf ball that someone had launched with a driver. (laughs) It was on his cell phone. And when he got hit in the head, he stumbled a bit, he fell down and he had a massive erection. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty, I was 13. I'm pretty sure I showed it to you at the time. I went around school showing everyone. I was like, check this out. And he gets hit in the head with a golf ball. And I'm like, and he's got a fatty. (laughs) (laughs) I don't recall specifically the video, but I do feel like that's something you would have shown me in high school. Absolutely. 100%. And that was the content that I enjoyed. And, that you know, like from even like before when I was using YouTube, like younger, that was the content that I tried to look and see. So I'm not sure if it's probably just that I was in my own little bubble and that was like, you know, one small fraction of what's actually out there on YouTube. Mm. But, you know, it's I like to think that the kind of Internet humor has evolved from that and been like. You know, that's why a lot of those prank videos are popular or just like, you know, TikToks of shit going wrong. People like to see shit going wrong. It's funny. Yeah. Well, that's like the whole, I guess, uh, the whole idea of like American and Australia's funniest home videos. Like, you know, like 
it's those t- the whole premise of those TV shows is to like see funny things of like real life humanity going wrong, you know, yeah, uh, in, in a in a very harmless way, mind you, you know. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's I, I think that's kind of where that stems from, and now and then it sort of turn like what you're describing feels very early internet, or at least like the you know the first. 10 to 15 years of the internet. Like, I feel like that's, no, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feels very early internet and it's kind of has, it has evolved. I think now like the ability to make like really high production content is a way easier nowadays. And so like, well, yeah, it's like videography is the same as music where the buy-ins probably never been cheaper for really, really quality gear. Yeah. So I feel like that's why we're seeing, you know, I mean, like, look, look at what we do, you know, like the, like the videos that we make, like they're of quality and op- like, and even like the, like the Jurassic Park guys as well. Like they, like with what Stokesy does, you know, like we, yeah, we talked about it on another episode, but yeah. hundred like percent. I love the Jurassic Park stuff. I love his use of VFX. He's really good with that. I could see how that would evolve and like. But even of- like I, you mentioned to me before that it was like, uh, there was a Jimmy Kimmel produced like viral video yeah, like yeah, yeah that's right um in like the i feel like it was like the mid to late 2000s maybe even early 2010s maybe I, i'm not sure sort of like in that time period um jimmy kimmel used to do like he he used to like stage viral like viral videos like they would be like webcam videos going wrong kind of thing like people would i can't remember yeah, people- what it was but like it might have been like a think someone was doing a dance and then they like fell through like a glass table or like like broke like a glass table or something and um it turned out that that was like co- produced by jimmy kimmel like they'd made that video and it went viral so which is great which is crazy to me that means that that like style of humor is so not only so popular but also profitable that mm. he's like all right you know you can put the effort into make you know making it look like someone's hurt themselves and you know it do something for you like I, I would have thought logically that that sort of stuff beforehand, you know, besides trying to enter something in funniest home videos would have like, well, I guess even there you go. Funniest home videos is like a more of a testament to that mm. in the internet as well. Like people would, people probably stage those videos to make the cash prize or whatever. Yeah. hundred percent. I, it's kind of like, uh, the OG version of like, do it for the vine, you know, like, <laughs> well, like people would do like. Because, Go like, on, son. Hit me in the balls with a golf club for the Americans' funny, funniest home <laughs> videos. <laughs> well, like uh, I mean, we we've seen it in the Simpsons as well. Like you know the twenty the short film festival. Yeah, yeah. You know Bart <laughs> with what Bart does. He tries to stage like a yeah the eternal struggle. <laughs> the eternal struggle. That's the one. Yeah. So I don't know. I, just, I think it just appeals to like DIY creative mentality. I guess. Would you let me put you through a wall for a viral video? Uh, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's the next, that's the next reside primer. You guys keep your eyes out for it. I think Liam's going to, Liam's going to call me something derogatory. And I'm going to say, that's it. Pick him up by his belt buckle and just launch him through that fucking wall. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I, um, actually was thinking, uh, about something last night. I was listening to, I found a podcast um, that Rick Rubin did, uh, and he did an interview with uh, Andre Three Thousand of Outcast. Yeah, and I was actually thinking about uh, so okay, so in the in in the in the podcast they um, essentially like Andre Three Thousand hasn't made any music since The Love Below. I mean, he's like appeared 
like a featured on on some people's like songs, but like he hasn't actually made any music in you know decades now. Um, he sort of retired from music, yeah. and and um, so Rick Rubin's talking to him, and he's like, you can kind of tell that like Rick Rubin's like trying to like encourage him to start writing again because they start <laughs> talking him back into it. <laughs> yeah, because he's like. He, he, he was really encouraging. He's actually talking about how like, you know, unique his music was and the impact that it had and, you know, asking, you know, like how, what's, what, how's your writing process nowadays? And, and Andre was talking about how he didn't, he doesn't write anymore. Like he doesn't have the confidence to write because everybody, every time he goes to do something, people pick it apart, like with a fine tooth comb and the, like the pressure of oh, like, God. he doesn't, he feels like he doesn't have the confidence to actually make the music that people expect from him. And it got me thinking about like what that must be like to get to a certain point in being a writer and um, how like, like being prolific and people, you know, really analyzing your works and, and, and trying to follow up the stuff that people have, you know, you know what I mean? Like people. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, like, yeah, I definitely know what you mean. It's like he's there. There's this pressure set by his audience because he gets to this level of, being renowned for songwriting where people put him under the microscope and like, yeah. and he, you know, didn't ask for that. He just yeah. wanted to write and release music. And then, you know, the audience is like, this is so great because of this, that, and that. And now he knows that if he's going to release more music, that's the kind of lens it's going to be looked at under. Yeah. It's the same as um, like, you know, like a band's releasing follow-up albums to their big album that launched them, like Nirvana approaching in utero yeah. or, um, Bruce Bruce Springsteen uh, approaching. I think it's Darkness on the Edge of Town. It's the, it's the, one, the one that followed up Born to Run. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember my dad is a huge Springsteen fan, and he used to talk about the story of that album a lot because his producers like literally wanted him to produce Born to Run too. They were like, "Yeah, it was such a success. Do that." And he was like, "Nah, I refuse to." And uh, apparently, the process for getting this album out was absolutely grueling to the point where like the producer was like chewing on tin foil by the end of it to just like calm his nerves because and yeah and it was just like a long ass process but then they ended up putting out the album and it was a great success but that sort of process would and how grueling it was would stand as a testament to these guys knew what kind of lens that their music would be put under and maybe yeah maybe it's just Andre 3000 doesn't want to have to go through that sort of process of well that's the know. thing if apparently he's like because he's like a pretty I don't know he's pretty sensitive dude and he was yeah, um, basically just talking about the anxiousness that he felt, like even just attempting to write anything because it's just yeah, it's just too too hard. But um, how do you feel like sometimes when like a, a an artist follows up with something that you you weren't expecting, or or how do you feel? Actually, I'll I'll rephrase that, um, or rather ask a different question. How do you think it's best to approach, you know, following up a record that has such like high praise? I think so when i see bands follow up records they're like you know they're sort of um what's really planted them those sorts of records when i see their follow-up records there's like the one foundational thing that i kind of base it off you know kind of it'll affect the rest of my judgment sort of thing and this doesn't necessarily mean that i like the album but i'll always be pleased if they do something different because Uh, Trophy Eyes with the American Dream is a great example because I, you know, I know people that love that album and I know people that don't dig with dig that album that much. But I think at the end of the day, 
It's they did the chemical miracle sound. It was a great sound. I would have loved to have heard more of it, but they went and they wanted to do something different, you know, something mm. that didn't sound just like the last album, which is great. Yeah. It means it shows sort of growth and it shows that, you know, rather than just, it makes me feel like rather than trying to cash in on my love for that album and just be like, yeah, you want more? We'll give you more. We'll feed you more and get your money. Mm. It's, you know, it makes me feel like, no, they genuinely wanted to make something. They achieved what they wanted to with that album. And now they're going to achieve what they want to with this album. So I think that's probably, you know, from there, from there, just, you know, write the, if you're writing something different, write the music that you like. And I might not necessarily like it, but I'll always kind of, I'll have a lot of respect for anyone that doesn't just kind of think that was, you know, I'll like, I'll openly say Amity Affliction, you know, not that they care what I think, but, and they shouldn't, but it's, you know, it was a sound that worked for them and they've done it into the ground and it still works for them, which is good for them. But just, I never heard anything different from them. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I, uh, I tend to have a lot of respect for bands that reinvent themselves. Um, I said, I guess I tend to gravitate a lot to them. A great, great example. We were talking before about Arctic Monkeys. I think they're a, a perfect example of a band that, is constantly reinventing themselves and pushing the envelope of what they are known for doing, you know? Um, yeah. I'm like, I'm super late to the Arctic monkeys party. Like I only got into them super, super recently. Mm. Um, but you know, I've listened to the first like three albums and I like what I hear. And I like heard the last album get smashed on triple J. So I like, I don't know what, you know, what the image was like through those sorts of uh, albums or anything like that. But I know that the band that they were is ne- not at all the band that they are now in yeah. like a great, in a great way. They've like yeah. evolved and matured. I think so too. You, you were saying you, you check, you listen to uh, whatever people say I am. Um, I'm not. Yeah. And yeah, I was saying that, 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 that album is, I feel like the embodiment um, of like youth in like North England, like in that Yorkshire area, I feel like that's, that so perfectly captures that that time and that's and that area um so well but you know and the music that they're making now is it's it's mature and it's it is like wise it's it feels more wise now i was going to say that's that's probably another good like you know not even a foundational point i guess the step up from noticing that the band has changed then assessing all right is this product you know, this is going to sound so wanky, but is this product wiser than the last, you know, is this music wiser than the last music? Is it kind of taking into account mm. all of the experiences that, you know, this, yeah, this album that has planted them on the ground, is it going to take in all the experiences that they've had there and all the experiences that that has provided for them and then provide like, you know, something that's got more insight into who they are now, they've discovered more about themselves or mm. is it just sort of slapping a new sort of sound on the same basic sort of fundamentals of a song, I guess, and not sort sure. of sounding like the music's any wiser. Yeah. I think we've kind of, I think what it sounds like is being genuine and knowing and like being convincing in that that's what you wanted to make is probably key and, and uh, like sounding more mature, I guess, or like the song, like basically an imp- a sense of progression, I think is probably. hundred percent. Yeah. A sense of, you know, this we're not just it's not just the same people as they've always been you know they're growing yeah. as people that's why i think uh i know we've talked about it like pretty much nearly every episode but that's i think that's why recently i've gone back to that self-titled blink album <laughs> like i know we've talked about it so much and i'm not i don't want to No, but i'll never get sick of talking about this album yeah i think that that's why i've kind of gone back to it i don't think i appreciated 
the progression? It's it, that album was huge, like a huge sort of turning point for them in the maturity of their sound. Like yeah. just, yeah, that's, that's an album to me that actually feels like it's got some wisdom behind it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, what else have I been doing this week? Um, so actually the other night I, uh, I was in a, a bit of a YouTube like deep dive. Yeah. And um, on my recommended popped up, all right, I'm going to preface this by saying that there was like, it, it's, it's a dog, sh- it's, it's a BuzzFeed video, yeah? It was this recommended video of the, like, do you remember the overly attached, like, girlfriend meme? Oh, uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that chick? Yeah. So it was a video about her and it was like about like her story and how she became the meme. And I had ordered some food that night. And basically, I while I was watching it, my food had arrived. And I went to get up and grab, like, get the door and, and grab my food. And I come back. And in that time, the video went from how she became a meme to a drug story. What? She, like, yeah, it was just like, <laughs> she apparently she was, like, dealing with, like, addiction or something. Like, uh, like after, like... And After just the like, success of being a meme. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I don't know if it was That's not to belittle her addiction struggles. That's just, you know, no, that seems like something I'd hear in a rock star arc of like, you know, it, this is without my rise of to fame. Filmed, it was kind of filmed like it, to be honest. Like, <laughs> it was it was so weird. I like. We now return to Behind the Meme with Rebecca Gusterson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rebecca but was yeah, really off the rails. Time, it's just, the whole video just completely just completely shifted and i was just like i was just sitting there with my food just like what the hell just happened (laughs) god damn yeah that's funny did she actually see any like success or revenue from being yeah i I, she was really successful i don't remember i'll have to link you the video because i don't really remember much of it but uh it it was it was like i just remember it being a really bizarre experience (laughs) wow yeah that's fucking whack that's (laughs) <laughs> yeah but she's all good now like it is a happy happy ending and all that stuff but yeah i can't believe that that was even did anything i guess you know people their videos go viral and then now the way to make money off that is to you know make money off your socials but well the like- way she became famous was that she was it was a screenshot of she did a cover of a song and it was in this di- i think it was call me maybe or something like that oh, yeah. um and she was doing a cover of that and she decided like on the fly in the middle of the video during like a part where she wasn't singing that she would do that face um, to look creepy. Cause it was like a parody. She did like a parody song oh, okay. and then, yeah. And then that got screen capped and basically just, yeah, became a meme essentially overnight. And she like woke up and was, it was yeah. like, it's like, yeah. One of those like fantasy stories of overnight, you know, success. If you woke up tomorrow and for some reason, everyone had had a picture of you on their laptop and knew it and thought it was a funny picture and used it in meme formats of just your face looking kind of goofy and you were just like internationally known. How would you feel? What would you do? I have, I have no idea. I feel like I, I definitely would have to think about how I would follow up with that and how I would use my platform. Essentially. <laughs> I would have to rethink everything. I think uh, it'd, it'd be like a, you know, I like I wouldn't want that if everyone just, you know, knew it. I'd be the guy with the funny face. Everybody, oh, it's the guy that put the fucking, you know, it's the such and such meme man. And it's kind of like, I don't want to be just 
for you know, from then on, it doesn't matter what I do in a public sphere. I think everyone's going to think of me as, yeah, as that guy, you know, as the picture. Yeah, that's true. Like, okay, example, uh, Bad Baby or whatever her name is. I yeah. still think of her as a Cash Me Outside girl from Dr. Phil. That's true. That's true. I think most people do, which is kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast took like a very... No, it's no, no, sad. No. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I yeah. guess it is. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is really sad, yeah. We just become like an NPR <laughs> podcast where we all talk like this. Yeah, and it's, it's just really like, sad. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, so... It's probably at time, so uh, we're gonna wrap up this episode. But we'll uh, we'll be back next week um, to talk to you. And uh, I've been Dylan. And, uh, and wait, no, wait, be Liam. Yeah, wait, wait a minute. You fucked that up. <laughs> <laughs> nah, You've we'll... been Dylan. Is this identity theft, mate? Yeah. Fuck, fucking take it. It's worthless. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Liam and you'll remain to be Dylan. I'll remain to be Dylan. And this has been the Pretty Good Thanks Podcast. We'll see you next Tuesday. All right.